1914, we took a little trip down with Colonel Jackson down the mine in Mississippi. Fired our guns and the British kept to coming because it wasn't as many as it was a while ago. Fired once more and they took to running down the Mississippi to the Gulf of Mexico. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh, I don't want to. Please don't send me into outer space. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh, please don't. Please don't send me into outer space. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh, I don't want to. Please don't send me into outer space. Ah. Hey folks. Uh, so there's another dang article about Chapo and this fucking New Yorker. They love doing this. It's weird. And you know what? If you put an article about us that gets people talking on the wheel of samsara that is Twitter conversation topics, along with men be not having a bed frame and David Foster Wallace is toxic. Uh, and fuck, there's a bunch I'm not even thinking of. Uh, should there be slurs in DSA that people can argue about all day long and then wait a few months and get another one? It's on the wheel of pain for sure. It's on the eternal wheel of suffering. And it is very funny to me that, uh, that media, the media is so incestuous now. It is so cloistered. Now, obviously, they're not all rich. A lot of them are, are fucking, like, broke freelancers. But, I mean, it is so culturally cloistered. Like, there is no real money for uh, media anymore. Like, the infrastructure of making content, it's much easier to do it through the lens of social media. All the media is bad, is what I'm saying. That uh, it's it's shallow, it's shallow and it's political. Because that's all they can talk about. All the all the people who are making culture, they're not having independent lives, right? It used to be that the people who can who made uh, mainstream, like, cultural media, you know, TV, movies, that kind of stuff, the people who wrote about that stuff and wrote about politics, all of them lived separate lives and had separate personal sort of uh, frameworks of life. You know, they've, they have fixed positions in a world that builds their identity, and then they uh, 
they go to the media to express it, and then we all watch the result. And it is it is a a personalized uh, uh, context, right? Like we're, we're getting obviously capitalist propaganda, but filtered through the individual perspectives of these individual people. But now everybody doesn't have a life that they bring to their art, to the media, to culture, to politics. Those things have replaced their lives because that's where they feel agency. Our lives have been drained of agency, sociality and agency, which means that we, we, we put our real mana into our online experiences. We pump our orgone into the social media cloud, and then what comes out is the result of that. It's a cloistered little house. Instead of everybody individually, you know, coming together, it is one hive mind of, of, anxious, of anxiousness, of urban anxiety, of the neuroses of the guilty elite. That segment of those who are being advantaged by the current apocalyptic conditions who feel bad about it, who have sublimated their desires into an erotic superego, and who would need to perform culture of, uh, of abnegation of that responsibility without challenging the situation because it's to their advantage. That is, the, uh, that is to say it's bourgeois, but it is a bourgeois that has now been truly homogenized. Everybody is living in the same mansion, like mentally. And therefore, their concerns are so measly and miserly. A lot of it is because, like I said, they're not experiencing things outside uh, of the place. They're just content creators in mills. They're not living jobs that aren't part of the media, that like um, inform their lives. They're not coming to media from other experiences. No, college and then directly to the content machine. So, uh, so they're just these uh, bundles of neuroses, of liberal neuroses, because it is the guilty rich, the guilty successful, the guilty lucky, however you want to put it, and that might be the best way to put it, the guilty lucky, ones who feel bad about being lucky, per, are the ones most likely to want to do culture work and not work in the actual machinery that makes this thing go politics or business or something. <coughs> and those people staff it. The meritocracy is powered by people who believe that their luck can be consecrated by the application of some social justice that will mean that they don't have to feel guilty anymore. That's what liberal politics is, and liberal culture is enacting your difference, enacting your non-culpability uh, in it. And the thing is, you're not really culpable. You are largely powerless in the face of this. You are, we are all slotted where we are through the happenstance of, of birth, of the cosmic throw of the dice. 
the the guilt that that creates, like this is the thing: is I say this that we're all guilty, we're all accomplices, we're part of this machine, and people and and the response is, oh God, no, that's the that's the neurosis that's uh, gonna cripple people with this neurotic need to uh, you know destroy themselves to to negate themselves, and I'm saying no, uh, that's what the liberals do with this reality. They take it as a hair shirt and then have to expiate that. But it's all indulgence. It's all to their own gratification. They're still comfortable. They still are economically secure. And now they don't feel guilty anymore. They feel elevated and therefore they feel okay with being where they are. It is a ritual consecration of their, uh, of their innocence. And that's what the cultural liberal uh, left is is a ritual uh, denial of, of guilt. The, the, the reason this is important is not to reinforce that neuroses, but to point out that it's beside the point. We're all where we are. We still have to live. And if we are living to scourge ourselves of our personal guilt, we will never be able to directly address the world around us because we will still be trapped on the... On the hedonic treadmill, you will still be oriented around self-gratification. This case, self-gratification through self-abnegation. That's liberalism, though. That is progressivism absent power. That is the ant in the attic of the Victorian mansion going batty. The left, the socialist project, grounded as it is in daily experience and motivated by an increased sense of connection to others, uh, uh, solidarity, as it were, that neuroses is not less uh, prominent and can be assuaged away. Now, the thing is, some people say that means we should all be culturally reactionary. No, because that's just the nervous breakdown of the other lucky people who want to maintain their power. The right-wing side of the culture war is just the reverse erotic display. It is the indulgence of the senses and of domination. Insistence that one cannot, should not feel guilty about the power they hold, the, the position they found themselves, because it was ordained by God or nature. But in a condition of terminal decline, just not only personally in that good things don't feel as good over time, they wear out their pleasure and you end up noticing everything that's uh, unpleasant instead to like create a, uh, a zone of distinction. The ability to indulge is going away. The ability to, to, to both have a life of, ex of, of total uh, consumption and then also pass it off to your children as your legacy that's going away, and that creates its own psychic outcry, and that is that is the conservative culture war. Class politics is orthogonal to this conflict, and it must break through it. And this is the central absurdity of that New Yorker article. It is this, its assumption is that that the podcast creation and consumption can be meaningfully political in the current context. And I submit that it is cannot be. 
People like to point about talk about podcasts and the internet and talk about Gramsci, but Gramsci was talking about the uprooting of a peasant society into a work working class conscious of itself to the creation of cultural structures around uh, the working class and the peasants that would generate their own cultural superstructure, independent of the capitalist one, nurtured from the roots of, of struggle, funded through the people's share of profit. That is our uh, socialization of institutions like newspapers and political parties and uh, and radio stations uh, and, and civic governments and culture and culture. And they compare that moment to ours and say podcasts and stuff are that. They're not. We are within the culture, capitalist superstructure. We're fully generated by it because there is no more grassroots uh, uh, connection between working class people as such and any kind of cultural production. They have been declassified. We have all been declassified and we re-enter the market as monads, as atoms reconstituting ourselves along the axis of consumers of a spectacle. And so the culture we create, even outsider culture coming from social media and not traditional media forms, something that isn't subject to uh, the market because it's provided for by uh, by uh, user uh, subscriptions, that this is countercultural work. It does inject left concepts into the, the, the slurry of shit that people encounter every all day and allow them to take political concepts from the left and add them to their consumer identity, but they can only do it from there to a position of still subject uh, passivity. That the, the kind of things we're talking about, culture we're talking about, that would really be challenging would emerge around struggle, around specifically labor struggle. And we haven't seen that yet. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I predict it will. Uh, but it's not yet present. Which means talking about what type of political podcast is the morally right one to listen to because it's doing the most and best politics, and, is, and by listening to it, you're going to contribute to the best politics, is delusional, fundamentally. It is trapped in the matrix. It is stuck in the cave. Chapo and the whole online left created a new consumer identity for people. Now, that consumer identity could be useful in getting some people invested in the actual struggles happening, but it does not generate counterculture power. And the proof of that was the 2020 uh, primary. When the decided, the, the center, center of gravity of the Democratic primary electorate was so far removed from the cultural eye of the, the mores and concepts of left Twitter that got consecrated into things like Chapo, that they were completely, it was completely irrelevant to the question. All those questions, all those hair splitting arguments about 
is this good for Bernie that this guy endorsed him? And uh, oh my God, what about uh, what about Cumtown? And how how's that going to make uh, Bernie look with African Americans? And oh, what about Bernie needs cutting edge? But uh, Bernie requires cutting edge positions on things like sex work uh, and uh, reparations uh, and prison abolition to keep to excite the, the 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 people who have already embraced these positions. No matter what people's discrete opinions on any of these questions is, the matter the thing that mattered is that nobody who is captivated by that language, no one who is engaging politics through that lens, uh, was meaningful to the process because they were already overwhelmed. They were already self-segregated because they were cut off from people who were Worse off than them, more alienated than them, but less likely to have ever encountered any of this shit. Because this, these are different worlds. We're creating these little bubble realities within the capitalist uh, media sphere. They're all just bu- bubbles. It's like a buckyball. And they do not interact. Only to, be, to experience them from inside and outside is a fundamental different reality. Because... It is now boutique reality. There is no monoculture. It's like the eyes of a fly. And that means it comes down to numbers. And that percentage of the people, politically agitated, uh, downwardly mobile young people, broadly, was was, uh, a fraction of the total number of young people, most of whom have completely detached from politics as a part of their identity and therefore aren't encountering this argument through the lens that you would need to understand it. They're only maybe seeing it and not engaging with it. And then everybody older and better off is completely outside of it and has created their own reality that is generated by the mainstream media that they still believe in because they have not yet been fully broken away from that, even if they're they now have like a partisan view of it where like there's two mainstream media is a good and a bad one. And you affirm your goodness by watching the good one and being mad about the bad one. But it is it, still fractured away from like what you saw even 40 years ago, but it's not as fractured as what younger people uh, uh, experience the, the media as. And those people are going to the both the voting booth. Those people that are engaging with politics earnestly and there are way, way more of them than there are of you. And, and there's no conveyor belt to get outside of that bubble because you have to opt into it. And who would opt into it if they were not being pulled there by some demographic magnet? Did you go to college? Did you expect to have a professional job after you graduated? Were you forced uh, to uh, take work that you never wanted to? Uh, are you forced to delay things like having a family? Uh, Are you prevented from maturing in a real sense? Are you stilted in your development? Because you cannot uh, actually exercise power in your life. You're being pulled and you're being uh, infantilized, basically. But because you went to college, because you had bought into a certain package of assumptions about uh, what a responsible citizen who deserves a middle-class lifestyle and unalienated labor should be doing. And that means having a political identity, having political morality, and voting. 
Or if you don't vote, voting as a, like trying to prove a point, which is the same thing as voting. You have en- you have enchanted voting as a meaningful act. It is it is identity forming to you. That does not happen to most people now. And certainly most people who fall outside of the lucky zone for whom the state's compact has always been a fraud, for whom there has never been a chance to invest yourself in belief in these things because there was never going to pay off. There was never a bargain said that if you do X, Y, and Z, you will get treats. It is you will do X, Y, and Z, and if you don't, bad things will happen to you. But if you do, bad things will still probably happen to you. And so the question of how to consecrate my dedication to the state never occurs. That means you're not encountering this political argument within this bubble, and Bernie's campaign passed through you like gamma rays, by and large. If it brought working-class people to Bernie, it was through the lens of the mainstream media. It was what they saw in commercials, and and even though it was all biased against him, he's such a powerful figure, and, and, and he has such a clear message that he actually did win a bunch of people over, but not enough. So this to me renders the question of the political valence of podcasts or anything on the internet moot. This is not where the action is in terms of moving forward a project to save the human race. We are now providing distraction, but not in, I would argue, the pure negative sense of, uh, you know, there to prevent a revolution, to prevent energy from going towards uh, uh, saving the, the, the people. I would say that in the absence of any class formation, which is what we have now, there is no way that you can argue that uh, the media screen that we view the world through is inherently a distraction from people recognizing the, their, the condition and then acting in a revolutionary fashion. And that those sum total of revolutionary desires will be channeled into a, a socialist current that could challenge capitalism and isn't happening because people are being distracted by media. I think that absent class politics, uh, uh, the media, that in the current moment, everybody is increased alienation that they wouldn't be able to distract themselves with by political engagement. That the, the idea that they actually do have power uh, would not go towards revolutionary anything. It would go towards self-destructive nihilism, like actual self-annihilation in the form of drugs, in the form of uh, suicidal extreme actions of one kind or another, in the form of increased hostility to the world around you to the point that you create some sort of confrontation, just Sparks flying socially increased uh, human misery, basically. Because why the hell would we assume that this misery that we're now distracting ourselves from, if felt more keenly, would have us be able to do anything useful? Part of the reason that we're all so anxious is we feel how powerless we are, which means that if you say, Oh, yeah, the very few things you do have an ability to imagine yourself in charge of, like what you watch, uh, who you vote for, what positions you hold, what things you'll fight for, what demonstrations you'll go for, go to, uh, what organizations you'll form. If you're telling me that none of that uh, 
If you're telling me that none of that matters, well, then what am I supposed to do? I'm morally obligated now to essentially uh, begin guerrilla warfare with the state to actually do the revolutionary shit that we're all talking about. I, I have to do that now because the current machinery is out of our hands and we have to reclaim it and only through violence because we're no longer capable of asserting power through organs of law. They will simply rewrite the law. And it's too late for anything else because of the closing walls of climate catastrophe. So we have to try to grab the reins if any means necessary. But okay, say you say, I'm going to do that. You have to do it. Even then, what do you do? Even if you say, I'm willing to forfeit my life, you still want your life to mean something, right? You don't want your life to be like the, 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 the glass of water that's just poured on the floor, which was Hegel's metaphor for a life that is ended without purpose, a life that just ends when somebody isn't intending to do something. That's like somebody just spills some water. Even if you're ready to die, what are you dying for? Because what do you do? There's nothing to do. What do you attack? Who do you shoot? What do you blow up? What do you personally do? You're not, you can't join a group. There are no groups to join. How would you even go about doing that? Are you going to go on the internet and start asking around until the FBI entraps you? And then you get to fucking die on, uh, at ADX Florence, writing scrawling spirals in your own shit? Nobody wants to do that. So only the most extremely agitated will do violence at first. Everybody else will just try to distract themselves with something else. All right, fine. If it's not politics, give me something else that I can indulge as a consumer. I still have that freedom and that will keep me from the point of terror that, oh, my God, this is getting worse and there's nothing to be done. And that will lead to greater self-annihilation in some sense or another because you have, you're going to have to keep upping the indulgence to make up for the increased sense of fear as, as, the, as the end rushes forward and you feel uh, unready for it because the existential horror of life under capitalism as the winners, which is what we are if we're on here, uh, is the existential terror of, of the winners, which we're all trying to expurgate th through politics, uh, has to be uh, indulged. It has to be distracted because it's essentially your, your body trying to call you, your mind trying to call you into accordance with your under, the, the reality of the world around you, which is, oh, there's a lot of stuff that I, keep, I prioritize above being more like active politically because I like it more. But I don't recognize that because... I get to. I have the privilege of that. And that is not to condemn anyone morally. That is just a fact. We are built to be pleasure-seeking robots. And we're fighting the programming because we're human beings who are embedded in reality and embedded in connection to one another. And we feel it every day. We just have no way to express it through any sort of uh, 
in any way in our lives because we are turned into these machines. So we're, most of us are going to prefer to stay alive and to maintain our position, even if it's tenuous, and even if it looks like it's going to get worse, and even if we can only hope for worse in the future, and even if it's going to be worse for our kids. There is, still is pleasure in the moment. There still is security in the moment. There still is, most of anything, anxiety about losing it in the moment that has to be assuaged. And if you can't imagine that politics can change anything, then you have to get busy living, basically. And how do you do that without uh, overindulgence? And so you either destroy yourself or you lash out. You either implode or explode. And either way, there might be some people who do it with a political mind, but there can be nothing that could aggregate out of it because it is the stochastic social violence uh, created by capitalist alienation as it just hyper uh, metastasizes through the social body. So there, there is no sense that culture writ large is preventing revolution. It's only, it's only soothing us through essentially hospice. Like it is, as Marx referred to as religion, it is the opium of the people, but not in a pejorative sense, in a medicinal sense. It is allowing us to maintain our sanity, as it were, to, to prevent ourselves from pulling ourselves apart in the face of the the overwhelming uh, horror that living in every moment in this hyper-alienated world that we see collapsing around us and feel no power to be able to stop is engendering. So we all still have to live because most of us are going to stop short of self-purifying uh, violence against the state and, and the ones who do are going to do it without a coordination and, and with the aid of the FBI. And so what you'll be left with is a bunch of people even more paralyzed, even more commitment to indulging themselves along some other axis. At least imagining themselves as political beings means that when they are confronted with the conditions deter as they deteriorate around them, the changing conditions, the reduced circumstances that throw into uh, 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 disarray sort of the, the hedonic bargain we've struck with the world and make us reassess our priorities, say you're uh, uh, being hyper-exploited at work or as a tenant in a building. And if you have a political consciousness that is, a, a, that is to say politics forms a visceral part of your identity, that you've been encountering in the culture, that you can apply it. But nothing said there is going to provide any basis for change. It's just a, it's, it's a star in the firmament that we're all absorbing as we move through our lives. And so they wrote a whole article just to preserve in their mind, the propriety of caring about podcasts when the world burns. It boils down to the fact that whoever wrote that piece that I didn't write really wants his podcast preferences to mean something. 
even though we're at the end, the last stage of American uh, democracy. I mean, obviously it's gone, but it's been gone for a while, but like even our ability to maintain basic faith in its existence, half the population already doesn't think the election, the last election was real. So when the Republican wins next time with another minority of the vote, it's going to be a universal sensation. And that's going to create its own crises that are going to ripple out through time. And it's going to be accelerated by the, the, the collapse of the increased reduced reduction of conditions. And so in this moment, Caring about podcasts to the degree that you're writing a goddamn article in the New Yorker, preferring one to the other because one of them is more polite and it's more congenial. It's more aesthetically preferable to you. It is more aesthetically pre uh, preferable to you. And that is a contribution to the 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 uh, the political culture that is on its face uh, bad, just without even getting into the motivation. But it's it's the drawing room antics of Versailles, where a bunch of bored aristocrats who'd had their power taken from them by Louis the Fourteenth had been gelded, had to just run around Versailles uh, giving each other uh, uh, mental, uh, doing mind combat with each other uh, for, for favor within the court as like a, as, as, as a distraction. So I, I do like to remind myself that it's no use getting mad at any of this stuff because hey, it's all it's all just grist for a mill. It's all grist for a dynamic that is built into the system at this point. We're all stuck in one way or the other because we can't really opt out. Our identities are too enshrined, and it's and we're only going to get knocked out of these things one by one as our relationship to the world changes. That there's not going to be any. Uh, a, a mass organization through media that's going to turn the turn the uh, page because everybody is still operating as little hedonic uh, tardigrades, just thrashing towards uh, some sort of satisfaction of pleasures. But this is the guilty bourgeois trying to uh, trying to have a bridge party uh, while while the streets are running red with blood, trying trying to t tune out the sound. And once again, not anyone's fault within this because I'm doing it too. We're all making compromises at some point for pleasure because we see no point in acting that would be anything other than self annihilation because there is no hope. That's because this is through the veil of of this uh, this media sphere, where we're just communicating to each other 
through this screen of alienation that, that confounds any attempt to build anything outside of it that has any real size or, or uh, uh, coherence. And it's because so much of it is in the language of culture war that is dominated and created by the media itself, and that this is just a subset of, and that it has to refer to. That's the main problem, is that the things that defines this political current, the left political current, can only define itself and the terms within it through the lens of the liberal conservative culture war, because those are the only issues that get reinforced culturally that aren't just being referenced in the goddamn uh, internet tube. Things like elections and television shows and politicians who say things. Those people are all outside of the left uh, Twitter uh, culture creation network. They have to feed off of something else because they cannot generate any actual initiative. You're only reacting to the real contest between the political parties. So that means that they're all, they have to sort along these axes related to these culture wars because those are the only reinforcing things. And so as much as we have invested time in it and energy and passion, and we have made our lives better, and this is very crucial, made all of us who have, I think, contributed, uh, participated in one way or the other, better equipped to handle the moment we're in. Not by their posts or their consumer choices, but by the more pressing issues of how do I get through this? And, and their engagement with this stuff is going to give them a lens to act that is superior to other things you could be listening to and reinforcing yourself with all day. Highly preferable to, to uh, giving your brain over to one of the political parties that is a Dracula machine, giving yourself up to the, 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 the ultra-liberal uh, Puritan nihilism of... Uh, of, of, of violence for its own sake or uh, the absolutely puerile infant fantasy of racial superiority. If you're marinating in that stuff and the world changes around you, your encounter with it is going to be filtered through what you've been marinating in. And I'd say the stuff that we've been brewing up is better to marinate your brain in than other stuff. That's all I can say, though. I cannot say that we're, we have any definite, we have any real uh, pow, power in any sense. We sure as shit did not prevent Liz Warren from uh, uh, endorsing Bernie, and even if she had, that still wouldn't have changed the outcome. Like, we all have to live. And, and, and like I said, mature, uh, the reason everything's, everyone is freaking out, no matter where they are in this thing, from, from Bezos on down, the reason everyone's freaking out in some way or another, acting out, like, I'm not saying everyone at all times. I'm saying, in the main, most people, in most positions, throughout most cultures, are freaking out. And it is because... Wherever we, wherever the, the totalizing touch of, of capitalism has really dissolved social uh, identities and replaced them with the homo economicus,
We are, uh, we are motivated by our desire to consume in the market as an expression, not just of pleasure. And this is the important part. We're all wanting to the idea the the the, the quest for identity the, the quest. There's two kind of axes of 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 motivation. There's Apollonian Dionysian. You know, uh, we're getting into the Nietzsche stuff, but uh, like we all want some degree of actual sensual comfort. But then we also want to feel like we are in control of our surroundings, which is part of pleasure because it reduces our sense of anxiety and fear because that is related to uncertainty. And what capitalism has done is that it has removed the capacity for action to such a degree that people have had to subsume all of their sense of, uh, uh, that sense of control of themselves and identity, stabilizing the world and therefore mastering it can now only be channeled into consumption because all that, the, one of the things that that struggle, that struggle is the real conflict. It's class conflict working itself out throughout all social strata. That is that friction that's being generated and it has to be resolved in one way or another, unless it can be consumed away. And like the pressure gets vented off into most people choosing to indulge over destroy. That's not anyone's fault. It's not, it's about like degrees of sensitivity of, of like, uh, of, uh, of like emotional and, and, and sensual sensitivity that are built by happenstance. They're not created by anyone's will. You end up on a bell curve of decency and it's related to, and it has nothing to do with anything you did. And over time, most people in most positions will choose to indulge. And we have now created a situation where the entire global uh, economy is fixed around assuaging conflict through consumption. Well, that's only useful. That's only workable if you have infinite growth. We cannot have infinite growth on an infinite planet. And we are hitting, finally, the, the biological limit. But our social order still necessitates venting off uh, conflict into consumption because our actual ability to control the world around us is gone in that we have given it over to capitalism. We have given up with the way our, the reins of our sense of, uh, of uh, assertive identity. Like we do, we, uh, we all have to feel like we have some will to power and it's been totally uh, neutered and that's nobody. Once again, no one's fault class conflict emerged, the working class lost. And we have all lived. We're all living in the backwash of that. None of us were there when it happened and we're just trying to deal with it now. And so that means, though, that because we're all just pushed in the consumer direction by crisis and by anxiety, because we can't imagine 
using our political, uh, our will, our will physically, like to actually change the world, we have to consume because if we were to, uh, if we were to actually take power or try to take power in our hands, it would involve violence. It would involve a breaking of the fake piece of capitalism, which was, uh, which was put over the, the whole globe after World War II and said, that said, we are subsuming conflict into, into a political battle over resources in order to maintain the, the conditions of the game and maintain the actual biome. But once that battle was won by capital, there was no more resistance to it. And it overtook the entire world. And now, as the ability to continue to offer consumption as, a, as an alternative to action goes away, people start uh, doing action. People start acting. And that means acting violently. And now that violence is, is, is undermining our fra- the non-existent social fabric we already have. And it's being met in response by the creation of this techno, uh, industrial, military, panopticon, surveillance, health state that we're all going to be living, that we're all already living in. That exists to keep us from expressing ourselves, from expressing a will to any kind of control of our lives. But that alienation is already hitting culture and is only going to hit it worse. And I think that the candy is going to stop tasting good enough to keep you hooked to it. And, uh, and things are going to start shifting. And that's scary because we can only imagine any change being bad. And part of that is because we can't imagine a future with a lower standard of living as superior to this time. And the fact is there absolutely, absolutely is a world where people are eating the bugs and living in the pods and it is not worse than this. In fact, it is better and it is salvation. It is if the buds and the pods are what a socialized instrument of um, government representing a truly democratic will chooses to do to meet the real uh, crisis created by capitalist overconsumption. And the I won't eat the pods, I won't eat the bugs thing is comes from a fact that people have no faith that the, anyone giving the bugs and pods could be anything other than an agent of Goldman Sachs. And of course, because we can't imagine an alternative. But honestly, one of the things holding us back is that even people who uh, aren't, you know, culturally neurotic about those issues and about masculinity the way that those people are and that want fully luxury automated space communism are like, no, actually, don't tell people that because the future is going to be like now, only there's going to be robot butlers. It's going to be like the Jetsons, but everybody. It essentially says the consumer-based identity of a late 20th century American subject, we should universalize that through technology. But you cannot do that. You would have to squeeze the, the poor end of the human race into a pulp to do that. 
And at the end of it, you had just created the fucking decadent, monstrous elite of Zardoz who would destroy themselves from neuroses from within as their pleasure wept, uh, went away with them with time. It's just that when we imagine the future, we imagine no matter what the regime is, no matter what the uh, what the powers that be are, that it will be good or bad to the degree that it allows me to continue being me as I understand myself. But that conception, that identity is a consumer artifact that through struggle would be broken down by definition. Because none of this could be imposed at this point. Capitalism has run out of runway. There's no more deals to be struck. There are only conditions to be imposed at the barrel of a gun. Because there's no organized resistance. The deal, the cheap, the cheap food, the cheap fucking uh, consumer goods, the 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 uh, the idle time, the inefficiency allowed into the heart of the system is going to be squeezed out, one way or the other. Is it going to be squeezed out by people negotiating us away from planetary suicide, or by the? Uh, the reptile-brained monsters who want to, who imagine themselves as like uh, eternal god emperors in space, as they gallop us to extinguishment, following a a, a fantasy into annihilation, the fucking crimson king gibbering and jabbering in the in the dark tower. It's because they view the bugs in the pod uh, and, and the soylent, and they view all that stuff through the lens of their consumer identity. Well, if I ate that stuff, I would be, uh, I would be uh, cucked. We're fetishizing uh, an identity that is composed most almost entirely of our of our coping mechanisms to deal with living under capitalism and that would be fundamentally different and differently arranged and under socialism or under even the pursuit of socialism the earnest pursuit of socialism we need all of these creature comforts and we grasp them so Tightly, because we can only imagine losing them. We can't imagine gaining anything by exchanging them. Because we have no faith in a project. And that's because our only encounter with the project is through this gauze of uh, media anxiety, which is the winner's the people who are going to be the last to do anything meaningful 
the people who are most enchanted by this thing because they're able to spend time away from truly physically painful and alienating labor. They're able to pursue some sort of vision of a life of the mind, either through grad school or an attempt at a media career, or even just going on Twitter and having a uh, having opinions on things and, and, and being a consumer of culture. And then investing those symbols with real emotional energy and, emotion, and, and investing the spectacle of it with real power because we have the time to do it. And other people, this is the more this is the most important part. Other people near us and around us do it also. That's why we, they get pulled like magnets to the cities to work in uh, to work in the knowledge economy. Those are the people whose family has been kept in the golden egg of post-war prosperity long enough to allow regular people access to the same heights of education uh, and sophistication that had previously been reserved for aristocrats. We really, we did create a democratized uh, America in that we democratized the bourgeois experience. Which means people who are not going to encounter too much trauma in their lives such that they fall out of some sort of arm's length of comfort. Like even if they're working a tough job in the city and they are laid on rent a lot, they know they could call their parents if they had to, even if their parents aren't rich. If you've got a piece of that middle-class prosperity, say a house in the suburbs, equity, family's been sitting on, you're within arm's reach that allows you, and the fact that you probably had a pretty decent education, and access to the, the mores of uh, school and the mores of college, more so even than learn anything so that you could be accepted there and learn the rules there and then go out in the world. And even if you're poor, even if you're poor, broke, and working shitty jobs, you still have your hand in the fucking thing. You, you might be uh, precarious completely, but by having your finger in the pie – of online uh, politics filtered through activism and voting and, and cultural consumption, then you could progress. Maybe we build uh, socialism and they do something about these student loans. Maybe Bernie gets in there and I don't have to pay for fucking medical insurance anymore. Because I can't, I'm not still on my parents' plan like everybody who has a podcast. And those people are going to always, including myself, given any any increase in crisis, any any question of what to do in the moment, are going to defer to something that concretizes the possibility of politics. That says we can vote, we can demonstrate, we can organize, we can do something other than put our bodies in the gears of the machine because it has an effect. But we can only believe in that because the system has shown itself to have some rationality to it that could benefit us in our lives. Because our parents probably had a house, like I said. You know someone in your life who went to college and got a good job and lived a middle-class life. Somebody who got to do unalienated work. 
unless alienated work. Didn't have to work dangerously or fear lack of uh, security because they couldn't find work. Wasn't as precarious. And so you carry that belief with you going through life. And it's not going to be disavowed just by events happening because your stomach is still full. And so as politics continues to not work, the need for politics to be more baroquely intense in its emotional satisfaction becomes greater. And that's why we see now all of politics being consumed by culture and vice versa, because these are people, including myself, at the end of our rope, needing something to mean something that allows us to not take the next step. And we can only hope that opportunities arise that are outside of that matrix of, hey, here's what we care about this week. These are the questions that matter right now. These are the vectors of meaning in these political contests. This is what matters. While this bullshit's going on, other things are happening. And if those things interact with the other things, that facade will shatter. That is that is the hope of any, that I think is the Marxist uh, dream, I, I, or, or rather, it is. It, it, there is a spirituality I think suggested by Marxism that is often ignored, and I think it boils down to the belief that if you did present a orthogonal, coherent, countercultural challenge to the dead. Uh, political contest of an exhausted bourgeois, which is where we are, a historically exhausted bourgeois presiding over a collapse, that that would shatter. Whether we have the conditions for one to emerge here and now with the humans we have is a separate question, and one that I am fully agnostic on. But I have to be, because... The same way you have to assume free will, you have to assume that you live in the world where that's possible. Because the other choice is nihilism, which is what's so funny about people who say that we're nihilistic now after Bernie lost. I fundamentally put it to you that anyone who says that there is meaning, value in the question of what podcast people listen to, the strategies of consumption around of political media is the most black-billed person on earth because they have accepted that they are going down with the ship, drawing on their spirograph. They're going to encounter oblivion having learned nothing. They will have failed to meet the challenge of maturing through uh, undue attachments to things. And the reason... and. To get back to a point I was trying to get to earlier, the reason that this is, is because the process of maturing as a person is a process of letting go. It is, as you come into self-consciousness, you create an identity that becomes fixed. It is illusory, but you require it to move through the world. And that process is a creation of Assessing threats and hazards to one's existential life. But then, 
eventually reading, reaching equilibrium with the world around you to the point that you begin to realize as your uh, stabilization with your environment uh, comes as your adulthood flourishes, that you are not really alone. That your life really isn't the only thing that matters. That there are other things beyond you that have meaning. And so therefore, you don't have to hold on to life as much as you did before. Now, this is in ideal conditions where you haven't been fighting for your life from the time you're a little kid. And that's a thing that damages maturity. But on the other end, to be brought into uh, the anxious bosom of consumer-based um, identity among the bourgeois is also uh, to be fucking traumatized away from that recognition. Because you are kept in a state of childhood. That that sense of precarity where the only pleasure can, the only meaning, the only meaning can be derived from consumption where there, where you cannot confront your powerless, your, you are not, you don't get to reach the limit of your personal power. That's what happens. Is that maturity, part of maturity is coming to the limits of your ability to assert individual reality. You hit a bump, you hit a border. And once you hit that border, you have to come to terms with it if you want to keep living. And that means giving up some. That's the other end of it. Part of it is, is coming to see other things as meaningful, but it's also to seeing other things as different and as able to impose upon you and to prevent you from just asserting whatever and getting whatever you want. And if you are brought up in the bosom of the civilized post-war America, uh, post-war America, there's never you never hit a limit. Donald Trump is, of course, the er example of this: someone who never faced an obstacle in his life, and therefore never gained any limits to himself. We are all on some continuum with Trump, having had that experience. And what that means is, once you get adulthood, you just keep taking because you haven't hit a limit. You, 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 you have not hit a limit of your, your ability to assert your identity. And so even if you might be constrained uh, financially in a way that Trump isn't, you aren't constrained mentally. And you can consume like Trump, but at a lower level, which giving you the same satisfaction. And you can, miss, and you can uh, compensate for your felt lack of power in your life with consumer indulgence and you can keep doing that but it requires you to deny the reality of others because it's hurt it's hurtful of others and it's exploitative and you are aware of it and that awareness fuels anxiety and guilt and you have to deny the meaning of anything outside yourself to keep that feeling good and that is to maintain the sense of childish selfishness throughout of all of life and so we are at the end state of capitalism and everybody is having a temper tantrum because nobody has actually matured. All babies one way or another. Traumatized into, traumatized by uh, either uh, indulgence or punishment at an early age 
and people expressing their powerlessness the way they can. And the thing is, is that in order to express your powerlessness, you really need money, some money. So you get the suburbs, you get this, the, cult, the middle class consumption uh, habits that become fixed. But then at the lower end of the spectrum where people are poorer, people try to get money and generally in a way that is illegal because it's the only real way to access capital. Because it's, it's, because it, the, the process in America was one of, and has always been one of cutting people off from an, from a market and then letting it die off. And so that expression of powerlessness becomes comes through violence. At least some sort of conflict with the state that the wealthier powerless, powerless person doesn't have to resort to because they have access to more money and are more economically stable. And politics is now the temper tantrum of, of all of these babies. Once again, nobody's fault, and this is why it's impossible to engage in these questions through the lens of the online argument because it's just a moralizing, a moralized argument that is totally beside the point because you're trying to just describe something. If it's all-encompassing and all-implicating, then there's no point assigning uh, blame to anybody. There's you just have to move. You have to go through it. You have to assume it and then work from that assumption. But we continually go into chest-beating denunciations and we continue to argue the point because we have to renounce our association with something that we find morally abhorrent, the idea that we're immature. Sorry, it's just a fact. We only have to ourselves the responsibility to act differently, to let go, to let go to the ego associations that we have with our spectacle, to let go, honestly, of our expectation of living a long time. Expectation of living a long time comfortably. Expectation of the world being better than it is now, in the future. But that ex letting those things go contributes to an ability to live more in harmony with the world around you. Because letting that go means letting go the urge to do all the indulgent, nihilistic shit that makes things worse. It's being caught in the in the in the stirrups that gets everybody crazy to consume. It's being it's having your leg in the bear trap. If you have let go of the need for every moment to be pleasurable in a certain way, well then fuck. You can maybe act politically Stripped of the need for your politics to feel good in, a, in an immediate way. Stripped of the ability, of the need for it to be uh, paid labor, basically. The, 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 stripped of the thing that prevents people from working, as I have said, for free. Because working for free is the key to building socialism. And when I say free, I don't just mean paid money. With money, I mean emotionally. The concept of emotional uh, labor is real. But the attempt to put a fucking price on it, is the end state of neoliberal hell. It is emotional labor that is the only thing that can defeat capitalism. Because emotional labor is what gets you to do something for free. 
The question is, what is the desire? What is the emotion that's being served? And the emotion that's being served is building connections that allow you to let go. Building connections that allow you to offload the neurotic self-reification that a critical end-state narcissist suffers. A child faced with mortality suffers. Detachment is cope, correct. Life is cope. The fact that cope is now the enemy really does prove that we have totally assimilated the fucking, the death drive. We've eaten the poisoned fucking lotus. You said, no, you don't cope. You thinking that you're going to do politics? You thinking you're going to post your way to anything isn't cope? Thinking that your memes can have meaning isn't fucking cope? That's why, of course, being based is the most cringe thing possible because it assumes that there is some authentic you whose expression is the, uh, is the consecrated endpoint of Western civilization. That's what being based is. Based is saying, yeah, you know, uh, my dumb ass, that's why this thing exists. That's why the human race pulled itself into, uh, into existence so that I can do what I want to do, whatever I want to do. Whatever I want to do, whatever I want to do. Okay, cool. What do you want to do? Oh, wow. looks awesome. We're doing a great job. Everybody is operating off that principle, you fucking dumbass. All the goddamn social justice warriors are doing it too. They're just doing it through pervy sublimation. Yeah, everybody, everybody is, is just doing that. Everybody is doing that, and look what it is. It sucks. It sucks so bad that you're only, the only future that you really imagine, and I think this is the actual, when you say, like, these people don't believe in a future, I think they do. We all have to, we all do to some extent. It's just a question of our emotional uh, relationship to that, like what we, what it means to us when we imagine it. Uh, and, I think the best case scenario, the optimistic scenario for for uh, the politically engaged at the level of culture uh, is some version of seeing their enemy annihilated before them, before them. And the only question, the distinction is what that enemy is. And I would say that for the, uh, 
or the liberal side of it. It is the self. They want to annihilate themselves because of their loathing of themselves, because they are based, at the end of the day, on the principles of Calvinism and Puritanism. Because they are trapped in a prison of, uh, of individualism that does not allow them connection to the outside world, God, anything. They are frozen from connection, but they do believe that the other exists. And they do believe that it is holy. So they are failing it. So liberal project is is continuing capitalism, but taking, alienating away from the people who make up liberalism piece by piece to destroy. Whiteness, maleness, all that stuff, patriarchy. Of course, it's all just uh, symbolic and ritualized because they, they don't really... Because uh, their politics is completely symbolic and ritualized. But bad things are going to happen to people in those categories as capitalism accelerates. And their project is paying attention to those bad things and being and rooting for them. And then the conservatives are those who believe that they are, that they are as isolated as the, as the Puritans, believe that they are everything believe that everything else is nothing, that they are all, that they are God. Now, of course, they're God's in rotting human bodies, so that creates a shrieking cognitive dissonance that has to be dealt with every moment of their lives. And it means hating the other. It means blaming all of this on the other and then trying to punish them because of the cultural coherence of conservatism and it's able it's the ability of it to manipulate the constitutional framework that it that was left behind after the civil war they're able to actually do it a lot they're actually able to direct the fire hose towards the other but it the water is pooling around their ankles too and their project is watching it happen first to the other And that is the punitive sadism that fuels the actual political uh, contest. That, that the left is only responding to on its terms and cannot provide a, 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 genuine, uh, uh, a genuine resistance to because it's premised on the, 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 the social divisions, the consumer-based social divisions of the greater conflict between the parties. A synthetic humanity will emerge from struggle. Like conservatism emerged after the Cold War, or during the Cold War, and it has now taken over the Republican Party, uh, is one that, in the aftermath of the war, saw the necessity, like the Democrats, like the liberals, like Wall Street, 
with confronting communism and destroying it. But the Soviets were giving terms, good terms for capital that would in the long run allow capital to triumph. And so the managers of capital made a deal. Permanent war economy eventually encircle and eventually overcome uh, uh, the Soviets. A good deal. But to do that, certain things had to happen. The U.S. had to take over a global capitalist order, replacing whatever national bourgeois function, structure we had before the war, which has already been, chain, uh, been permanently altered by our intervention in World War I as, cap, as the creditors to the... Uh, The creditors to the Allies, <clears throat> which pulled power towards the United States. But it also had to extend power outwards. It had to do the Marshall Plan. It had to prevent MacArthur from going to nuclear war with China. It had to let China go communist in the first place. It had to make a deal that gave up uh, the, the, the Iron Curtain. And later, it needed to get rid of racial segregation. Because we were fighting with for hearts and minds in the developing world that we needed access to the resources of in order to continue continue our encirclement of the Soviets. This all has to happen. But to the smallholders at home who don't see that side of it, all they see is culture changing, all they see is power devolving away from the United States, and all they see is their basis for for their security at the top of the pyramid being removed, their precarity being felt. And they said then, with MacArthur, with Robert Taft in 52, with Goldwater, with Reagan before he became president, if this is the cost of containing communism in the long run, then we should fight a war now to preserve this thing before it is dissolved. Now, the thing that they are thinking is being is dissolving it is communism, right? Because they believe communism and capitalism are the same thing at the end of the day. It's a usually Jewish conspiracy. That's the end point of all capitalist critique or all right-wing critique of capital. It has to be. There has to be conspiracy at the middle, uniting capital and communism. And therefore, that whatever those capitalists are building is going to squash them. It's going to be some uh, Wall Street, uh, Moscow, Bolshevik capitalism, which is now thought of as woke capitalism. And to stop it, they want to go to war. War, of course, would have annihilated the earth. At any point in the Cold War, Except in its very early stages, if the United States had, had continued to fight uh, or had initiated a fight, it would have been catastrophically violent to capitalism. But it also would not have preserved anything that those uh, stupid national capitalists thought it, they were doing because it would have annihilated everything.
And now that Demo- that Republican Party, which was moving its way through the machinery all the way, Reagan took power in 80, but the thing is, is at that point, there was still enough institutional control by uh, by Wall Street, by big capital, within the party structure, within the people who run for office, within the American bourgeois generally, that the leaders of the party, by the time they got to, uh, uh, that the leaders of even the conservative movement, once they got to power, they largely played ball. They did not escalate with the Soviet Union. In fact, they uh, negotiated arms control, and the conservatives felt that they got stabbed in the back when that happened. Like Reagan had, had gained a lot of his uh, uh, national uh, head of steam running into 1980 on uh, a campaign of resisting the Panama Canal Treaty that gave up American sovereignty over the canal in, uh, in 1999 or whenever. He got into power. He didn't do anything about the Cam- Panama fucking canal. He, revolution- he neoliberalized the economy, but he was just continuing what Carter did and what Clinton did later. He was doing what was to be done. And he was heading off the suicidal imperative of American uh, fixed capital. But now, 40 years later, they've worked their way through the system. They, ha- they have the entire thing. Conditions are drastically worse in all ways. Precarity is felt everywhere throughout all of the social order, including at the top of even the American, uh, like, upper bourgeois. They feel that whatever capitalism is, it is now going to destroy them, not succor them anymore. And a lot of them at the middle level are probably right. Their kids are going to get squashed. Their kids are going to get squashed. They're going to be proletarianized. And so they want to fight before that happens. But the war they want to fight is the suicidal war of the bourgeois. It is the suicidal annihilation of the bourgeois on its own terms, the death drive of the bourgeois. And anybody on the left who thinks, oh, we're going to follow this current in order to resist capitalism is only along for the ride because the working class is totally not is, is totally absent from this picture because it is not composed. Think of the role that the nuclear bomb had in saving capitalism. At every point, technology has stood in because at a certain point, technology and capitalism became inextricably linked. It is now capitalism, it is now technology more even than the capitalist relations that it fosters that actually asserts capitalism's uh, prerogative. It was the bomb that kept the Cold War cold. But of course, this technology assumes the open system and assumes that within it are answers to all of its crises. That, oh, we're warming up this, we'll just in, bring this into the uh, equation. But it's, it's breaking down because it is only serving uh, profit 
It is, it is rerouting all energy to one sector. It is sending us all towards the platonic crispy chicken sandwich at the expense of every other, at the expense of every other structure of human order that allows capitalist uh, interaction, market interaction to persist. And it's us versus the machine now. We have to redefine us. We have to refine us. And we can only find us by letting go a little bit, of confronting the real sober reality around us <coughs> and letting go of our own stake in it a little bit so we can act virtuously. That is out of a felt communion that is outside of, uh, of the pleasure principle or the pleasure denial principle that otherwise uh, defines our actions. Yeah, like that's a perfect example. We have the solar power now that we could that we could make free energy, but that means solar cannot be adopted because that there's no way to price it. There's there's no reason to invest in it. <coughs> Our hope the hope that exists is is whether any shred of this technological infrastructure can be socialized? Can we get any of it? From within, from the center, from the edges, can we bring together some social coordination of technological ability that can coordinate human action, that can create like a, a harmonic reinforcing tuning of fork effect throughout social organisms? The thing is, is that I am the least qualified person on earth to talk about that because I don't know anything about fucking technology. I'm a hostage to it. So once again, I reach the edge. I got to bump my nose and say, blockchain, uh, spyware, I don't fucking know. Somebody does, hopefully, and maybe they can get their shit together. No, I'm not a Luddite because this stuff is all has to be socialized. Cannot be destroyed. Then we're back to not, if not square one, we're back a lot of spaces and with way worse conditions to, uh, way, way less, um, forgiving conditions than humans had before. Although, you know, we all came from 5,000 people emerging from the bottleneck of a, of a mass extinction. Maybe the people who come out of that bottleneck, no matter what happens, will have had the, collective experience of, of, of technology and its discontents that we can start fresh.
All right. Hope some of that made sense. Catch everybody on the flippity flop. Oh, right. Uh, Black Jacobins, maybe either tomorrow or Wednesday. Bye-bye.